0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of ATL Alts. This is your host, Andres Sindate. Today, I am delighted to be joined by two guests, um, Jeff Parks, the CEO and director and co-founder, and his colleague, Jimmy Biopoulos, the CFO and co-founder of Stack Capital, based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So, a lot to talk about with regard to Stack Capital, um, but before we jump in, Jeff and Jimmy, uh, welcome to ATL Alts. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you for having us, Andres. Yeah, super excited, Jeff and Jimmy, to, uh, to jump in and talk about Stack Capital. Um, but before we do that, I want to give a shout out to your colleague, um, Brian Viveros, who reached out to me and said, look, you know you're talking about some interesting things on ATL Alts, democratizing alternatives and democratizing access to alternatives and private markets. Um, have you heard of us? And uh, I love that when that happens. And so we immediately, you know, got on the phone and started talking and uh, and this show is a direct result of, of Brian doing that outreach. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Um, so first question I, I ask every guest that storyline, the backstory Uh, behind the numbers is the tagline of, of my show, the podcast. Um, the reason I started the podcast was I wanted to get to know the people behind all the success that you read about, you know, all the big things that are going on in the capital markets and the financial markets, um, who are the human beings and the teams behind it. So the first question is always the same. Tell me about where you're from. So we'll start with you, Jeff. So myself, I'm from a
1: small town, Cambridge, Ontario, um, it's actually close to Kitchener Waterloo, where a lot of tech companies are coming out of. Grew up there, ended up going to school at the University of Western Ontario into business school, and then coming right back up the 401, which is our major major highway and in, uh, into Toronto, and ended up starting my first job. I never went down the PE route or the investment banking route. I went right into the hedge fund route, and it was it was funny. I didn't have the marks to get into that investment banking or or, or private equity job, so. I Actually went through building directories to find different funds that I could actually apply to. Ended up uh, getting a getting a chair and was there ever since. Before I moved on to Stack Capital, so that's my
0: quick background. Jimmy, over over to you.
1: Before yeah. I jump to
0: you, Jimmy, uh, remind me to tell you uh, and ask you some more questions about that because we have a lot of younger listeners who are always intrigued about how do I get into, you know, this said business, and a lot of times. I would listen to shows where guys would say, oh, I went to XYZ school and then started out at some well-known bulge bracket firm. And it's like, wait a minute, back up. It's a whole bunch of things that happened before you got to said school and you started first job. So congrats on on uh, on, on where you're at. But a, a big part of it is where you've come from. So Jimmy, I cut you off. Go ahead.
2: No, not at all. Uh, so for me, I uh, actually studied engineering first uh, and, and then business school. Uh, and, and started out my career in at KPMG. Did you know the audit side, also the advisory side, working on m uh, and and really liked uh, you know, smaller, disruptive companies and disruptive industries. So then, uh, after that, began working in renewable energy. Was the CFO of a uh, a public company, and as well based out in New York. Uh, and then uh, worked in crypto for quite some time. I got super excited about that whole industry uh, you know, early on, but uh, really around 2017. And so I actually stepped into uh, that industry, which was quite early at that time, uh, and and worked at a company called Huddy Mining, which uh, is now one of the bigger uh, crypto mining companies just recently went to NASDAQ this year uh, and and left there to Uh, help start Stack, which is focused on these private companies, typically in innovative industries and, and, and trying to do big things themselves. So, so I've always been really focused and interested in, in that whole space.
0: Yeah, no, that's a perfect segue. Um, That's why he's the CFO, Jeff. Um, It's a perfect segue (laughs) because he's got to talk to wall street and talk to uh, the folks on the Toronto stock exchange um, when you guys are doing earnings reports. But when Brian uh, reached out to me, Brian Viveros, your VP of Corporate Development and IR. You know, he he and I had a conversation about, you know, Stack Capital is trying to democratize access to private equity and to uh, private markets, uh, specifically within some stages of of private markets and private companies, and it just immediately resonated, like spot on with kind of what I'm trying to do with this show, which is educate and inform and hopefully inspire like a whole new generation of investors, uh, whether they be wealth advisors, individuals, uh, institutions that are trying to get into alternatives, but be a resource for them to listen to founders and investors like yourselves and teams on how we built it, but what was behind it? What was the thinking? What were we trying to disrupt? What were we trying to change? Um, And frankly, how are we trying to level the the playing field of access? Um, Because alternatives have historically been very inaccessible that's changing very quickly, but historically been very inaccessible. But one of the areas, probably one of the areas that's been most hard for investors to get access to are these disruptive, you know, growing companies. Uh, and and whether it's uh, the early days of, of ride sharing or, you know, Airbnb, or now you look at FinTech, you look at SpaceX and some of these companies, people read about them. They read about the founders they read about the new economy the growth economy but they don't know how to get access so before we get into all of that your backgrounds in hedge funds your backgrounds in public accounting your backgrounds in you know in the crypto mining space like tell me how the concept of we want to go disrupt private equity like that's a lot there's a lot there how did that even start
1: yeah i think like the I, from, from, from the start, you look at all of the funds and how they're acting out there in the market these days, people want more and more liquidity. And if the more and more liquidity you want those underlying funds, then they have a tougher time to actually invest in those private businesses. And it causes issues. There's not a duration match. So you're getting all of these big funds move up cap for people, moving into buying them Amazons, the IBMs, the Microsofts of the world. And they're not giving people exposure to these private equity, to these private opportunities. So we sat there and said, we don't just want to create a fund. Anybody, we can go out and create a fund. We want to do something that's different. We want to give people access that don't generally have access and do it in a manner where you don't get you don't get a point in time where you need liquidity and you can't have the liquidity. So to the comment that you made before, we're democratizing, we're liquidizing and we're fractionalizing this opportunity. So people can just go out there on the exchange and buy the underlying stock to get exposure to these opportunities. So it was that duration mismatch of funds and they're saying, hey, we only want a five or six year timeline. Well, that doesn't work with all of these underlying companies. Those are the big key attributes um, of, of why we were thinking about it. And then we needed to build the whole team around that as well from public market guys to private market guys to building a board of directors behind us and in a whole advisory board to bring that entire team together to get this thing up and going.
0: And, and maybe, Jimmy, I'll come to you and, and ask you, we have listeners who are, you know, they're in the graduate postdoc stage of investing in alternatives and private equity. But we and I love getting questions and, and, and engaging with our guests who are very new, to investing and maybe they're just starting out their career and they're like hey I can go buy you know shares in these private companies on these crowdfunding portals now I can go buy them on secondary exchanges and let's be very like honest like tech is just that's where people want to be right that's a really big area i don't care where in the world you are we see it you feel it and investors want information and access. So characterize the private equity business, if you would take, take us through kind of, is the private equity business only for the institutional sophisticated investor? And, and is this something where you should leave it to the experts? Should you leave it to the hedge fund crowd, to the private equity crowd, to the stack capitals? Help, help paint like that continuum.
2: Yeah, yeah. no, It's a good question. So the first thing I'll note is how big the private equity space has become, right? What we're seeing first off is companies staying private far longer than they used to, holding off going public, you know, for a few reasons. You know, they've been able to access money uh, in the private markets very easily. They've been able to provide liquidity for their founders in, in various ways. And they don't want to go through the headaches of actually being a public company just yet when they... Or w- want to focus on growth, so the whole sector has ballooned uh, into something very, very large, and and so, but so, but traditionally, it's been very hard to access it for for a few main reasons. One, it's complex. There's no standards to what information's out there, uh, and, and it's hard to navigate. Like there's no one source of entry, right? Like it's completely fragmented. How you can find these companies and actually invest in them. Uh, and then on top of that, you have regulation, and this is probably the biggest piece that you have to be accredited uh, to actually invest in this. That cuts out over 95% of the population from even legally being allowed to invest there. So so even if you're the, the lucky few that is an accredited investor, which has a wealth and income, very high bar to to re, to meet, uh, then you have to dedicate a significant amount of time to finding these companies, doing the due diligence, and and understanding a lot of these complex and innovative businesses, and if it's not your day job, it's hard to do that properly, right? And and that's why there is there are so many funds and and ways to invest is because you can uh, put your money with folks that do this day in day out that you trust that really understand this industry, and so. Uh, so, so, so what? So what I'll say, you know, at a high level, you're seeing more and more access coming out to accredited investors. Uh, we're seeing a lot of platforms to do that and ways to do that. Uh, but there's very limited things that we've seen that allows non-accredited investors to invest in this space. And that's really the innovative product that we're bringing to market here. Is that this is one of the few ways where big names, you know, sought-after companies. Uh, can be accessed and invested in by non-accredited investors. Uh, And that's why we chose this structure. We think it, it fits all the criteria. A lot of people, you know, just the other key thing, the lockups on these types of investments are 10 plus years. A lot of people just don't have that type of flexibility to lock up their funds for that long, not knowing exactly what's going to happen and put that kind of risk on it. So we have the liquidity so they can get in and out. They have the access. We spend all day, every day, looking to invest and doing our due diligence, Uh, and and uh, and we think this and non-accredited investors can invest, and so all that together we think is something really new and really something special out there.
0: Yeah. See. See. We will see. We will oftentimes as folks in this industry. We will use terminology, and I'm not picking on Jimmy, but we'll use terminology that I don't think the average non-accredited investor really even understands when we say things like lockup and and fund terms and things like that. So what I want to do is is help educate people around some of the things that you talked about. Um, And Jeff, I want to ask you this. So everybody says own real estate. It's the quickest way to, you know, use the American dream, you know, the, the go, go buy a house, you know, compound wealth. That's your asset. There, that's, that's your retirement. There is, is your home. And then we saw what happened in 08. And then you look at where wealth is created and wealth is being created today in private assets, private businesses, owning and investing in private companies, right? Especially in, in today's day and age, like tech companies, right? With the digitization of our economy. At least in the US and in Canada. So you got companies staying private longer. You talked about that. You've got that, you know, companies are raising more money than ever before in the private markets. I would assume you guys have an, a view on that because you're probably a part of, you know, investing capital there. And then you have returns and the opportunity to generate wealth in the private economy, the private markets. So you have these forces helping shape the private equity business. Um, Jeff, if you looked at companies that went public, uh, you know, like Amazon and Microsoft, and this generation of companies that are now going public eventually, like an Airbnb or a Lyft, and then you got everything kind of in between. I've seen your information, but a lot of our listeners haven't. And we can share some of it uh, in in the call notes talk about the differences in the public companies of yesteryear when they went public and who funded them before they got there and the companies of today and what are the different characteristics of those companies yeah it's amazing so the, that there's a slide that we actually have in our
1: deck which I'd love for you to share with the, the listeners if you look at Amazon what would the one you were speaking of when it went public it's a 400 million dollar market cap company okay. You look at, let's take Uber, Airbnb, Uber, $76 billion, Airbnb, $40 billion, before they hit the public markets. Wow! So think about the amount of wealth that accrued in the private markets to the hedge fund guys, the private equity guys, the venture capital guys. If you're a retail investor, sure, you could have made a very, very good return on Amazon investing at $400 million, uh, $400 million market cap when it went public. But these companies, they're staying private so much longer. Used to be on average, they would stay private eight years. That's already bumped up to 11 years. We were on the phone with a company the other day and they sat there and said, we're just going to continue to stay in the private market right now because we can get the funding. There's a lot of capital out there. And what you're seeing is a lot of these companies have secondary transactions that they're doing in the private market as well. So if their own employees need liquidity, they can facilitate that for them. And that was a major reason for these companies to hit a U.S. exchange, is to give their underlying employees or PE or VC that liquidity. But now you're starting to see that in the private market. So it's just amazing the amount of wealth that has accrued in these private companies. And a lot of individuals never even get access, never even get to participate in that wealth creation, which is why we're here today trying to break down those barriers for individuals.
0: Right. So we've painted this you know you've got this opportunity for wealth creation, but you also have this problem where it's sort of only for the select elite whatever we want to call yeah. them few right and yes, granted some of those are institutional investors that are pension funds and other endowment type schemes that are benefiting you know uh, people that work at uh, public education or people that work in public health or other things but you know the individual investor who's not and increasingly, there are fewer and fewer pensions. Right, um, those individuals haven't had access to that huge wealth creation opportunity that's happened in private equity and in and and in those tech companies, unless they were willing to wait and do the IPO investing, which you often hear is risky, right? Risky. Don't do IPOs, right? So, so it's a conundrum, right, for people um, of of okay. How do I? How do I get access? So, you see all that happening. Um, You're working at a large hedge fund organization, and you know, Jimmy, you're working uh, in 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 public accounting and audit. You you did some 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 time in seventeen. You said in in the crypto space. When did you come together and say, "Okay, let's build something"? Uh, And did you just? get to a public offering or did you say, you know, let's, let's try the private route and it didn't work. Like I want to hear that backstory. Yeah. Jimmy, you want to take that one?
2: Sure. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, 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 it started, I remember, uh, Jeff and I, uh, you know, having a drink and talking about the early, uh, shape of this, um, you know, not not super long before this, but uh, uh, early on in in you know I think just after COVID uh, had hit. Uh, but the core thing, what made this special, was it being a public company. So that was always at its core. And and we had both bit worked in capital markets. We both understood that space very well. And and so we so we knew the structure that. We we wanted and we knew the structure that was important to make this special, uh, but there was so many conversations that we had to have uh, leading up to actually executing this and knowing that this was was a possibility. And it you know it ranges from you know mentors, uh, you know the, you know some people who are now are are on our advisory and 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 board of directors. Uh, you know, the regulatory agencies, the banks, investors, and you know, the more people you talk to, the more uh, it actually starts to shape into what uh, what we think is quite special. But at the core of what we wanted, we think is a very innovative idea and 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 something that's really desired out in the market. Like if you really talk to the average. Investor, someone who spends a lot of time investing they get very excited over a lot of these private companies that they can't get access to and so knowing that uh, we ha- we 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 had thought of a structure and there was a possibility to bridge that gap was exciting exciting to everyone that we were speaking to and 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 slowly you know with, with a lot of hard work a lot of conversations all the pieces start coming together mainly because the over arching mission was so relatable to so many people in the industry. And so, so, so to answer your question directly, this wasn't something we tried at different angles or anything like that. We knew exactly what this had to be, you know, very early on and with the help of a lot of people, a lot of, you know, uh, folks that uh, loved what uh, we wanted to put together. Uh, this you know slowly came together, but you know as you know in the public markets things take time, and 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 they did with this. This was no exception.
1: It was yeah. definitely a big like team piece as well, right? Like Jimmy with the public accounting side, Jason our other co-founder, he was 25 plus years at TD as a managing director on the sell side. I worked hand in hand with him myself on the, the buy side for sitting a period of time all of us coming together that had different attributes that you could put together to create this thing. It was very, very team driven to get this, uh, get this done.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you about some of the pillars of stack. So when you read your prospectus and some of the the, the public materials, which we'll make available uh, in the notes in this podcast um, you, you talk about some of the things like, you know, Democratization, and you talk about some of the advantages, some of the competitive advantages that that you believe your firm uh, has. But you also talk about providing investors with access, and you talked about that just a minute ago, Jimmy, with access to the kind of companies that they see growing the economy, that happening, disrupting that they historically haven't had access to. And one thing I found very interesting was the composition of your cap table when the company went public. It's not just these big institutional firms that got access—it's—it's it's a mix. Um, but when you designed the firm and you decided that you were going to set up a company, what were some of the key pillars around where do you want to invest, you know, and where do you want to focus your efforts? Um, because when you set up an investment firm, you obviously have an investment strategy, you have a thesis, you have a process. Uh, we'll probably do a part two to this where we'll spend more time talking about that. But if you look at some of the key pillars. Uh, Beyond democratizing access, what were some of those that that were important to your firm when you thought about disrupting private equity?
2: Jimmy, I go for that, Jeff.
0: Okay, I'll leave that to you.
2: Uh, To me, so so what uh, what we wanted to invest in was uh, really what. So, so there's two pieces to this, right? You know, we're managing a pool of capital, and we want to get a return. Obviously, that's the the core of what uh what we do but the other side is you know there are some key names and these go hand in hand and there are some key names that people really want to get access to and and that's uh you know and we call those you know internally here the cocktail hour names right Mm. you know those 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 names that you hear and 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 can talk about and so we do want to provide a whole mix really we're trying to Find companies that have a product market fit. Uh, you know, we have this J curve on our slide. So you have the value of and, in, in, in those early stage companies, they find that product market fit, and you know, that's it's right on up, and the risk decreases over time to before they choose to go public, or whatever uh um path they have. So we want to invest in that later growth stage to late stage companies, typically that's above 500 million mark cap, but many times over a billion, which we call unicorns. And so, so we want to get that a full spectrum of the private market above that, you know, growth stage, um, size of companies. So that goes all the way up to at at times, you know, over $50 billion companies that are well-known and, and full brand names, uh, and, and, some would be closer to $1 billion, where we see a lot of growth and a lot of potential uh, moving forward. And so th- that would be a longer time horizon to, to actually exit. But we'll take that full range and, and want to create a basket portfolio that represents that pre-IPO uh, sector.
0: Yeah. Jeff, you want to add to that? Yeah, I'll even
1: add that one of the rules and criteria we put in place was 85% North America. That's our bread and butter. We know that geography. We know the rule of the law. Um, we tend to steer clear of uh, Chinese related companies just because of geopolitical tensions over there, sometimes not the greatest uh, investments. So we steer clear of some of those. But like Jimmy said, we're generalists. We're generalists at heart. Looking at everything gives you that flavor of of. How can this business interact with that business? Can we connect those two businesses? And is that going to help our underlying portfolio? That's very, very powerful to us. And one thing that we'll definitely stay away from is biotech. The binary risk of hitting a phase three trial or the phase three trial doesn't work, that's not risk that we want for underlying shareholders.
0: Yeah. Now, you talked about um, starting your career, Jeff, uh, in the hedge fund business and spent a number of years at a very large hedge fund organization. Uh, managing several portfolios, how does the public markets, uh, I assume you're investing in the public markets as part of that time you were there, how does that inform evaluating private businesses um, where the plan maybe go to public, maybe to do an IPO to get to the public markets as part of the liquidity event, but maybe not. Um, So how do you combine that skill set from the public markets and the, the fundamental research to evaluating companies that are at that growth stage that Jimmy just talked about. maybe they're you know they're, they're hitting they've got product market fit, but they are three to five years potentially from wanting to go public because they don't, they don't need to. They've got the liquidity to finance their growth plan in the private markets where there's less attention, less pressure, you know, uh, et cetera.
1: It's extremely beneficial having that public market skill set for looking at those private companies, because you can sit there and know all of the multiples out there in the public markets, what those companies are trading at, what the market's going to like about an individual private company before it comes public. That's extremely beneficial. I'll even add on top of this when we're looking at these private businesses. They love that we were public market guys coming into the private market because we're looking at these crossover opportunities and we've been in the trenches on an IPO. So when we brought when we brought our uh, when we brought Stat Capital Group public, we're doing the roadshow. We're going through the financials. We're working with the bankers. That's very attractive to actually winning underlying deals with these companies because they're like, that's amazing. Well, you can come in here. You can help us go through this IPO process and hold our hand and tell us basically the advice that some advice to get our company public. That was very, very beneficial and very beneficial for us winning these underlying deals. There's a number of companies that we're a small firm in the grand scheme of the larger private equity businesses out there, but we're being invited on to primary rounds from these companies because we're public market guys over and going over into the private market business.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I definitely want to get into more of how you think about sourcing and the, 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 the way I've always understood private equity is, you know, they, saw, they talk a lot about like the private equity executives talk a lot about, you know, relationships with the bankers and the intermediaries, but a lot of it's referral driven and we're not doing auctions and we're not doing competitive bid processes. I don't know how much of that is, you know, true or not, but Jimmy, I want to ask you back to your experience in big public accounting environment, knowing the governance the processes, the procedures, the the things that are going to be needed for a company to go public. I want to go back and have you rewind a little bit. Um, When you're thinking about setting up that capital, you knew it sounded like from the beginning that you wanted to have something special and something special was being public, not another private fund, um, but something public. What were some of those pivotal decisions that you had to make and and help inform Jeff and, and other colleagues about The way you select your partners, the way that you put together the foundation of Stack Capital before you're public, so that you know over the period of time to get public and to eventually be listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, all of that would come together. So, so maybe go back and and help us understand that journey a little bit.
2: Definitely, yeah. So we work working uh, in public accounting. You know, I've seen so many companies go public. I was part of all that process and you realize how many steps there are and and how complex that whole process is. So, so it's very beneficial to have that when thinking about stack capital. So, you know, the, the key things are making sure you're, you're, you're taking the right steps and, and, uh, structuring things in a way that makes sense for a public company, which which is different for a fund or just a private corporation. And so, you know, an example of this would be you know, how you um, work with with regulatory agencies, right? Like with the TSX, let's just say. So, so we knew when to reach out to them, when to uh, um, begin structuring things so that we're we're ready to check off the boxes there. When to start talking to the banks and and how we would need to structure this so that it would be uh, a, a public company and how we can and, and fully IPO it the way we wanted to, but it's yeah like that. Just having done this a few times beforehand, you know, I've I've done this also as CFO and and seen the early stages of a business. Uh, you you learn what these steps are. And I could go through them. I don't want to bore you with some of these uh, pieces, but just understanding the order of things and who to talk to and when and who to bring in at the right time helps the process uh, significantly. But, and there's of course similarities to a fund as well. But at the end of the day, uh, public companies are very unique. And the one good thing for the stock capital investors and everyone involved in this is that you're forced to reach a bar of regulatory standards, uh, governance, um, reporting, everything. Like people who invest in us know, we get audited. They know exactly where to find all our information. Our board of directors are very well trained. Have been board directors. I mean, one of our board of directors was on the board of directors for the Toronto Stock Exchange, and so so we really have that high bar that that we meet and worked on meeting very earlier and took time.
0: Yeah, I mean, because one of the criticisms of the private markets and, and investing in in private assets, which has become wildly uh, uh, popular and vogue, whatever term you want to use, is transparency. And the industry, like you, you said this earlier, Jeff, like the industry lacks a common, there are efforts, there are associations and others that are putting in place standards around the LP community and and asking GPs and sponsors to report in certain ways, but by and large, it's it. I feel like we're in our infancy, uh, relative to the public markets. When you talk about benchmarks and you talk about, um, you know what what is a private equity benchmark? Uh, just just to name one. So, with that said, the second part of the show I want to spend on the post public life, what it's been like where you're seeing opportunities, where you're seeing um, you know, promise in this idea with respect to your LP base, um, what your maybe some of your future plans are uh, as it pertains to the company that you can talk about publicly. Um, but in, in, in the final five-10 minutes here, I want to ask you about you know that journey and the, and the stack capital kind of differentiator. And, and I keep coming back to this kind of contrast with the private sector. And the private markets, and we're a wash in liquidity. Um, How does that capital stand out in that very crowded environment, with everybody trying to get into these really ideal companies? How do you, you know, when thinking about a public investment holding company, how do you, or where did you start to develop, I guess, confidence that this will actually improve our access? or this will actually enhance our deal flow? Or did you know that? Um, kind of we going have, in.
1: <laughs> I, remember, <clears throat> I remember one individual sat there and, and, and said that, listen, a lot of guys are gonna want you on their cap table because they're not just selling it to the Silicon Valley bigwigs, they're not just selling it to the conventional private equity guys. They're selling it to everybody. By selling into Stack Capital Group, you are selling into absolutely everybody. So I think that was a really big di- point of differentiation versus any other product out there. There's nothing that is identical to us out there on an actual exchange where people can sit there and get access into these, into these unicorn companies, which obviously helps us win that deal flow. So that is, I think, the biggest piece of differentiation plus mixed with you actually get liquidity. As Jimmy spoke to before, a lot of people don't want to lock their money up for seven, 10, 15 years by buying us. If something in your own life changes where you want to buy a house or uh, when your kids is going to university, you have that ability to liquidate the position and get liquidity. Or if you're sitting there and you come into a big windfall and you want to put more capital to work, you have that ability to go out there on the actual exchange and buy more that's generally not seen in any of the private equity businesses out there and plus two you can put these in any 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 account that you want whether it's a registered account or a non-registered account which is a big point of differentiation as well
0: i want to ask you jimmy about some of the peers out there so the alternative asset management business at least in the us um the likes of, of Brookfield and Apollo and uh, KKR and Blackstone, um, these companies, you know, guarded their privacy like, you know, that was the secret. And then all of a sudden, they all became publicly traded, and 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 so now you are publicly traded um, on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And there's other companies I was reading through your prospectus, like uh, FAX Capital and Onyx Corporation, uh, Symbria. So, help investors listening to the show understand this public investment landscape. Is owning Apollo or KKR or Blackstone? Um, how how is that different than say owning, you know, Stack Capital? I understand that, but I don't know how yeah. much our listeners understand that because to them it's all a bunch of guys and gals just investing money, and how's it really that different especially when their historical dna of those firms is private equity
2: definitely yeah so so what's different about us is focus uh in in one very specific thing uh, so what you get with a lot of those bigger players like the, you know the the brookfields of the world is that they're, they're they're very diversified and they do things at such a massive scale that uh, it, it's hard to you know one keep track of everything that they're doing like if you look at all the divisions of Brookfield or all the divisions of Apollo and their investments it, it takes some serious time to uh, track down exactly what you would be investing in there uh, and and for them they, they also have a different business model they have you know they're trying to acquire a, a very large stake in certain operations uh, try and take the uh, you know specific cash flow businesses and uh, rebuild them and potentially sell them out. Like there's, it, it, it's it's a it's a focus on, uh, you know, very very big scale operations. What we're trying to do is create a bridge into getting exposure to high growth, uh, primarily tech unicorns in North America, and so that's our focus. And that's really what people get very excited and get you know. But they're watching these companies and, and, you know, watching their path to IPO or trying to figure out um, how, how they can get exposure. And there just really is no way for, for them to do it in any traditional respect. And as I mentioned before, you know, 95, over 95% of the population just legally can't, can't even if they got access. right And so, so what we want to do is, is, is focus in on get, taking, you know, s- small stakes – in these large, fast-growing companies, where where we really believe that they have this this huge growth potential, um, you know, we see pre-IPO for a reason because they do have that path to uh, to to an exit as well, and and that's what really people get excited about, and that's why they want to invest in us.
0: So, Jeff, um, I want to ask you if I'm understanding what Jimmy just said. Um, you have these really big global asset management firms and they're investing in every asset class. You, by investing with Stack Capital, basically are getting a, a specific exposure, a sleeve, maybe even to strip it way back, like you're investing in a, like a fund, but it's publicly traded. You don't have to have millions of dollars to get involved. That's looking only at growth stage, late stage, and pre-IPO companies in North America so while those other firms might give you that exposure it's diluted so much in a way by all the other things they have going on that you know when you look at and understand where the growth potential is in the economy you guys make an argument that it's in those growth stage you know late stage growth companies and pre-ipo companies and that's that's the box that's the the sandbox that you that you want to participate in and you want to give everybody access to that. that
1: You said it it beautifully right there because all of those other businesses, they dilute down. What we're trying to do is give you more of a concentrated exposure to that box of high growth disruptors. Biggest thing that I would say is it's old world businesses versus new world businesses. Those new world businesses are generally high margin businesses, high growth, and that's exactly what we want to give exposure to we're disruptive ourselves. We want to give the market exposure to those disruptors.
0: And what what I find so interesting is that the senior managing directors and partners at all those big firms, they get to invest in all those funds and all those growth stage vehicles, right? As employees of those big firms. But historically, everybody else just can only invest in the stock now, right? Whereas you guys are actually giving individuals the opportunity to be alongside those partners, alongside those founders, alongside those owners in these fast, you know, growing, established, you know, tech companies. Is that correct? You hit, you hit the nail on the head there.
2: That's perfect. Yep. Okay.
0: Okay. Got it. So that's going to conclude part one of our two-part interview. Um In part two, Jimmy and Jeff, I would love to talk about what are some of the characteristics of the companies that you guys find most interesting? If you can talk about, uh, since you're publicly traded, some of the some of the prior investments. Um, if if you can talk about what gets you guys excited, because everybody looks at what's happening in tech and in the economy and says, you know, at least with the Fed, how long will they continue to provide you know the kind of accommodative uh, policy, and what happens you know if they start. You know, it's a pullback. We see inflation. There's all this macro commentary out there. I don't know how much the individual investor reads that um, and pays attention to it, but they feel it, they feel it at the gas pump, they feel it at the grocery store, they feel it in, you know, uh, the the stuff they're doing day to day. but they also see tech and they see how much it's disrupting and they see these companies. and I think that you're right, they want to participate. So in in part two, I'd like to get into how you're constructing a portfolio, what you found out about Stack Capital as a public company, um, some of the growth challenges uh, that you've had to address, and um, and let you guys you know give us your sort of outlook for the future. That'd be fantastic. Excited uh, excited for part two.
2: Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Andres.
0: All right. So that's uh, part one of our two part interview with um, Jeff Parks the CEO and director, and Jimmy Viopoulos, the CFO, both co-founders of Stack Capital. Gentlemen, I really appreciate it. I'm going to post some of your uh, information uh, in the show notes to part one, and then uh, part two will be coming out shortly. So thank you to to both of you for joining me today on ATL Alts. Thank you very much for having us.
2: Thank you very much. Really appreciate it.